This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one. With Nicole Clagan, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett with Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. Nicole, how are you doing? You know, I am doing well. I'm trying to stay dry. Yeah, that's really <laughs> all you can do at this point. But, uh, uh, you know, Nicole, let's let's go ahead and get right into the topic here because we've got a, a big concept here, mm-hmm. and that concept is guardianship. Yeah, and I think a lot of times when we think about guardianship, you know, when you're filling out papers for your children, you know, who's the parent slash guardian? That's what I always assumed right. it was. It's just a fancier way to say parent, but I think it's a lot bigger of a topic than that. And I'm super excited today to have a couple of wonderful guests with us. We have uh, Christopher Wilms, who is an attorney with uh, Hopler, uh, Wilms, and Hanna. And then we also have um, Micah Wiest, who is the Triangle Area President of LifeLinks. And they're gonna be discussing with us all of the ins and outs of guardianship and really what are some alternatives as well. So welcome to both of you. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, glad to be here. So I'm guessing my understanding of what guardianship is is a little off. <laughs> well, one criticism of our one criticism of our legislature is that they have chosen to call many different things under the law guardianship. Oh. And so, for example, if you think about um, Lee County, or I'm sorry, DSS, Department mm-hmm. of Social Services. And if they come and take your children away and they mm-hmm. give those children to another person to care for, you would call that, possibly call that guardianship. Right. And that's not what most people think of in this context. Um, also, if you have a child whose parents die, mm-hmm. um, you might appoint a guardian for that child. That's also called a guardianship. If a child inherits money, um, you might appoint someone to manage that money for the child until they reach the age of 18. Our courts also call that a guardian. <laughs> so I wasn't too far off. No, no. I mean, it, it can be a very confusing term for people that have never gone through this process and are trying to look this stuff up on the internet for the first yeah. time. So then, and with respect to what we're talking about today, um, we're not talking about a child's guardianship, although it could certainly go in that direction. What type of guardianship are we discussing? We're talking about a, adult guardianship. And unfortunately, in the law, there's a lot of very inflammatory terms that get used in this process, mm-hmm. one of which is called incompetency. Um, when we're talking about an adult guardianship, we're talking about having a person declared incompetent and appointing a person to manage that, that adult's affairs for them. There's all kinds of different guardianships that can be put into place, and the different kinds of guardianships are defined by the scope of authority that's granted to the person that's in charge of making decisions about another person. I remember years ago when I was very much a beginning social worker, I worked in a skilled nursing facility, and they called me as a witness for guardianship. And it was a very, I was so nervous because I was barely, you know, 22. And they met in the boardroom in the skilled nursing facility and the judge was there and the attorneys were there and the irritated family was there. And, you know, they wanted us to discuss, you know, the level of competency of this person. And it was just, and then they had an Alzheimer's diagnosis and then they had the person in the room and they were trying to ask them questions and they were so confused. And, um, it was a very unwieldy experience. Uh, what, is, what does this experience really look like for a family today? Well, first, the family's got to decide when is the time to 
um, pursue um, a declaration of incompetency and a guardianship for for an adult loved one. Um, and often that requires a certain state of cognitive decline. So a lot of diseases that affect the elderly involve um, a progressive disease. Mm -hmm. um, the diseases that we categorize as dementia is a really good example. Um, a person may be able to manage some of their affairs, but they have a progressive disease that causes their cognitive state to decline over time. When that happens, um, you, the person will get to a point where the family feels like they would benefit from both having a person in charge of managing their affairs and perhaps stripping the person of their rights and and their privileges to protect them from themselves. The best example I have of that are um, instances in which people are doing things against their own interest. So at risk to themselves. That's right. Um, I've seen many cases where things like, um, I've seen an elderly person with dementia in, um, in a home, in a bad neighborhood, leaving their door open to allow stray animals in to, to mm -hmm. eat. Um, while that might be something that that person believes that is in their interest, they enjoy having animals in their home, they enjoy feeding those animals, it's, they're putting themselves at risk and they don't have insight into the risk that they're placing themselves in. Mm -hmm. I've seen cases where people leave the stove on or cases where people are being financially exploited by others that are not, not acting in their interest. So when that, a lot of times what happens is people get, something happens, there's mm -hmm. a triggering event for, um, for the family of a person that's afflicted with a co some sort of cognitive issue. And they decide, okay, now's the time where we need to do something about this loved one and make sure that they're protected from themselves and protected from the community. And so then they'll initiate an incompetency petition in court. So I'd like just to back up a little bit here because, mm -hmm. you know, I've worked in the field for quite a long time and, you know, guardianship really doesn't seem like it's for most people. It, it seems like things can be handled in different ways. And I'm wondering, uh, Mike, if you could just talk to us a little bit about some of the alternatives to guardianship that we may more typically see, because I don't want the listeners to necessarily think, well, just because mom's showing some cognitive decline or maybe making some inappropriate decisions that we have to go down this route. Right. And that is a difficult place to be. It certainly is the most invasive form of dis surrogate decision-making mm -hmm. that can be implemented. And we feel that oftentimes good pre-planning can really avoid for a person to get to that point where a guardianship might be necessary. So our agency, we serve as a, a corporate guardian of person, but we also serve as a geriatric care managers. So we oftentimes advise our clients to really think about getting their pre-planning in order, getting their advanced directives in order, choosing a good person as their healthcare power of attorney and financial power of attorney, that hopefully when the time comes that they do need some assistance with decision-making, that they have already identified those individuals and a guardianship is not necessary. Um, we see that sometimes even if pre-planning is done, people choose or put people in that role of healthcare power of attorney or power of attorney that might not necessarily be a good fit, which can then also lead to a guardianship. Mm -hmm. Right now I work with a family where um, an elderly couple in their late 80s has chosen their 21-year-old grandson as their power of attorney, and they're now facing a, a major health crisis, um, complicated by dementia-related issues, and this 20-something-year-old young man has the best intentions, but is completely overwhelmed and has no idea how to really step in and help make these decisions for his grandparents. So mm -hmm. unfortunately, those kinds of situations then also can lead to a guardianship when 
folks don't feel prepared or really are able to step in in that capacity. However, in the majority of cases, choosing good people that you trust, that you know, that know you and your wishes, may prevent a guardianship from becoming necessary. And oftentimes, too, in our practice, we see that people are put under guardianship because of lack of other supports. Mm -hmm. So we always feel that maybe involving other support staff, um, whether that is home care provider, whether that might be a, a care manager that can assist with putting supports in place, whether that could be um, exploring a facility placement with some, some support, sometimes a guardianship can be prevented or at least put off for maybe some additional time. But in some cases, there just is not any support. And we've seen that it's not just for the elderly, but also for people that have persistent mental illness and continue to make poor choices for themselves or people that have sustained a tra uh, traumatic brain injury or any other situation where their decision-making might be impaired. So, uh, you know, I, I definitely, you know, this is something we talk about a lot on this show is about pre-planning and the great importance of advanced care planning through advanced directives because you can save yourself a whole lot of trouble. While nobody likes talking about who's going to take care of me if I can't make a decision for myself, it is so vitally important because getting into this whole guardianship piece can be extremely complicated and can create a lot of tension within family relationships as well. Yeah, it seems like it has a lot of potential to uh, wreak a little bit of havoc, and it's a complex issue, and we're going to uh, flush this out some more. Stick around. We've got Micah Waste here in the studio. She is the uh, North Carolina Triangle Area President uh, of LifeLinks, and we've got Christopher Wilms in the studio as well, an attorney with Hopler, Wilms, and Hanna. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters. Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Hey, if you want to find more about Transitions Life Care, you can go to transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong and Nicole Cleggett here in the studio. We've got two special guests here with us, and we need them because we're going over a very complex <laughs> topic today, and that is guardianship. We've got Micah Wiest, who is uh, with LifeLinks. She's the North Carolina Triangle Area President. We've also got Christopher Wilms here in the studio, an attorney with Hopler, Wilms, and Hannah, a uh, law firm that I mispronounced earlier, but that's okay. Hopler, Wilms, and Hannah. And uh, Nicole, guardianship. I mean, the, I've, my mind is kind of racing here because uh, I'm trying to process everything, but it sounds like if you're, if you're not prepared and you don't know exactly, I guess, what form of guardianship you're looking oh. for, this can be a, a pretty confusing process. This is very complicated, and I'm glad we have brains flowing yeah. out, of the, out of every possible crack in this room because we need them to, to really get through this topic and to get through it in a way we can all understand it. So, you know, Chris, let's pick up on, you know, guardianship as a last resort. It is a, it should be a last resort. <laughs> and, and the reality is most of the time, guardianship can be avoided um, through pre-planning. And there are numerous attorneys and professionals that spend their careers trying to express to the public the importance of pre-planning. But the reality is, is that the vast majority of people do not make 
do not plan ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen statistics that 70% of people do not have a valid will, for example. And it's so important to do this stuff on the front end to avoid the headache that comes on the back end. But because so many people don't plan, um, we have mechanisms to deal with this um, issue when it comes up on the back end. And that is through a declaration of inc- inc- incompetency and appointment of a guardian. The, the downside to this process is it can be embarrassing mm. for, the, for the person that's accused of being incompetent. Um, it can be expensive. There, there could be costs associated with um, both proving that the person is incompetent and appointing a guardian, particularly if it is contested. And then um, the ongoing administrative cost and time that's spent dealing with the um, management of the guardianship estate because the court will audit the work that you do when you're managing someone else's affairs. And that can be a fairly tedious process. I've had estates with less than $8,000 in it, but I have eight inches of paperwork Mm. that I have to submit to the court every year. Similar to a, speaking from the uh, experience, similar to a nonprofit audit, you know, it doesn't matter what your budget size is. There's still just a certain amount of procedures that need to go through, and there's all this cost associated with it. Exactly. And and our legislature does that. uh, It's created this set of rules to protect people Mm -hmm. from the misuse (laughs) and misspending of of the person's money and resources. Um, that we may need for their care, but the reality is is that it is a very difficult process. So if you, let me just say this, if you have the opportunity to pre-plan, you really should in an effort to avoid this. But there is this process available that you can use if you need to, to get control over property and get control over the care of a person that is in need of someone to step in and manage their affairs on their behalf. So before we um, jump into really how to start a case, um, I'd like to also just hit on the fact that, you know, the reality is, yes, a lot of people don't do Mm pre-planning. And even if they don't do pre-planning, though, a lot of this still can get resolved without guardianship. If you have the loved one that you can, you know, get to do the quote right thing or the safe thing without having to bring it to a legal case. That's right. Just so people aren't freaking out listening here today, because, you know, if you have a loved one with a severe cognitive impairment and, you know, you don't have to do guardianship still, if you're all in agreement as the best course. Right. And a lot of times a a guardianship case gets initiated because someone has tried to do something on behalf of a person that needs help Mm -hmm. and they're unable to do it. The person's just digging their heels in. Right. The person who needs the care typically. Or the the facility or the the bank or the family or somebody is is requiring that additional documentation be provided showing that this person has authority to handle the affairs of their loved one. And it's when you have this acute issue that Mm -hmm. you usually will look at guardianship for the first time. Now, if you never have that acute issue and you're taking care of someone, you may never need the authority of a guardianship. Right, right. So let's just say we get to that point where we have to move forward with guardianship. Everyone agrees there's some sort of a mitigating factor. How do we actually go about starting this process? Well, um, our court system um, has to deal with this so often that there are forms that that are pre-made by our court system. So if you go to nccourts.org, it's our court website, there's a link to forms that you can download and you can look for forms related to guardianship. And once you go through those forms, it pretty much tells you what you need to file with the court. Um, You'll need to file a petition with the court asking that they adjudicate the the loved one as an incompetent adult. That means decide or order or make a judicial declaration that the person lacks the ability to manage their own affairs. Okay. 
And you'll also provide information about yourself as the petitioner. You'll provide information about the person that you believe is incompetent. You'll, you'll describe some of their limitations and abilities, and you'll explain to the court why it is that you believe that the person lacks the ability to manage their own affairs. And most courts strongly suggest that you attach to it any sort of medical documentation that you have that would support that. So usually people will attach a letter from their doctor or an affidavit. So is this something, I mean, it sounds like something a, a general consumer could access and try to do themselves, but is this typically? Well, I'm probably in the minority, and I'll probably get emails from colleagues about this. But, oh. <laughs> but yes, I do believe it is something that people can often navigate without an attorney. It's just like doing your own speeding ticket or doing your own divorce. There's a segment of our population that will figure it out, do the research, and navigate mm-hmm. through the process without the assistance of counsel. Some people, when their washing machine breaks, they pull out the owner's manual, watch YouTube videos, and fix it themselves. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> I call a repairman. You look for that technician. Right. So if you, the, the value of an attorney in this process is primarily because they, they know the rules, they know, they, they're trained on critically thinking, and they know the people involved mm-hmm. and the courts involved, and they know how to navigate you through that process efficiently. Without an attorney, you may muddle your way through and you may do so successfully without problems, but yes, there is a value to having professional help as you go through the process. Interesting. And then the process feels like what? <laughs> well, once you file all of your paperwork with the court, they're going to give you a court date where you have to show up and show to the court satisfaction that the person lacks the ability to manage their own affairs. And you, and then the court will decide who should be guardian and what their powers should be. Um, before that happens, though, there's uh, an, a person that's going to be appointed, and that's going to be an attorney. And that person is called a guardian ad litem. And that person's mm-hmm. role is to ba- basically be the eyes and ears of the court. And so they're going to meet with the person that you have said is incompetent. So sort of like their representation right. to make sure this is true. Yeah, so, yeah. That, so that we don't go around filing petitions against people who do have the ability to manage <laughs> their own affairs. I don't so, want my wife to buy that extra pair of shoes, so... So I'm happy to declare the confident, <laughs> right. So um, that guardian ad litem is, is usually trained in the practice area, and they're going to go meet with the person, they're going to talk to the family, and they're going to come back and tell the court in a report what they think is in the best interest of the respondent. When I say respondent, I'm talking about the person that's accused of being incompetent. Mm -hmm. Now, that is different from having your own attorney, because when you are accused of that, alleged to be incompetent, Mm -hmm. you may want to hire your own attorney. And I will often advise people that they need to hire their own attorney because the guardian ad litem is there to advocate for what they think is in the best interest of the person, even if that's different from what the alleged incompetent um, thinks is in their best interest. So they can take a, a position that's different from the person. And so... That that in, alleged incompetent person ha, always has the right to uh, go and get their own counsel. And, and if they do think that this has been filed in error, then they should mm. go find their own counsel. Well, this sounds tricky. Now, about how mm-hmm. long does this process take? Usually they like to wrap these things up in, in a month. Oh, wow. So yeah. It's a lot faster than I would have expected. Yes. So usually when you get a guardian ad litem involved and you have a court date set, um, you know, things are moving pretty quickly. So you want to have your proof together and your documentation and your witnesses for this hearing set and, and in stone and ready to go before you ever file your petition. Very good. We've got Christopher Wilms here in the studio. He's an attorney with Hopler, Wilms, and Hannah. And we've also got Micah Wiest here. She is the North Carolina Triangle Area President of LifeLinks. And we've got more questions for her all about guardianship right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. 
This is Aging Matters Care and Comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Claygit from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason Kong. News Radio 680 WPTF, you're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett, two special guests here in the studio. We've got Micah Wiest, she is with Lifelinks, and we also have Christopher Wilms here with uh, Hopler Wilms and Hannah. He's an attorney, and we're talking all about guardianship. And Nicole, uh, right before we uh, had to take a break, we wanted to sort of get into the subject of uh, basically assessing. Yeah, you know, obviously, um, it sounds like, you know, potentially an individual can access this whole process on their own and go through the process with or without uh, an attorney. But I'm wondering also, you know, really, how do we do an assessment to even see if this is really necessary? I mean, before we kind of get into this whole process that could be quite costly, you know, are there groups or individuals out there that can help a family make a decision about the likelihood of a guardianship to even get approved? Yeah, I think oftentimes it makes sense to start with your doctor. Mm -hmm. Your doctor hopefully knows you well and can speak to some of the issues that they are observing and can maybe uh, refer the person to have a neuropsych assessment done. So a neurologist can do a pretty in-depth assessment, um, checking on memory, checking on cognition, other things that might impact a person's ability to make choices and decisions. Um, there are also agencies like ours that can do assessments. We serve as corporate guardian of person for people that don't have somebody that can serve in that capacity. So we have experience with the system, with the way the court system works and what they look at. So we can come in and kind of advise a family and their loved one as to um, what issues they're facing if we feel a guardianship is indicated. And then we can also be kind of a coach to prep them as to what to expect and what that process will look like. Some of the steps we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. For example, one thing that people are surprised about if a guardianship um, hearing is scheduled, the person has to be served by a sheriff. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be something that a lot of families are very surprised about. That can be very traumatic for the individual that is um, being evaluated regarding their competency. So they actually have to be served by sheriff, which can be yeah. very undignified for for people. Very sometimes. embarrassing. Yeah. yeah. So you know that's something that we like to kind of prepare people for, work with them, and if we see that there are ways to maybe avoid that that guardianship journey, we can put those supports in place as well. I'd love Chris for you to touch on, uh, if you would, really, you know, if someone is deemed incompetent by the court. What impact does that actually make on that individual personally? Well, you know, a lot of the pre-planning that gets done is really the person, while they're competent, saying to to the world, um, I want this, I'm voluntarily allowing this other person to make decisions for me. Um, guardianship is really more about being involuntarily stripped of that, those rights and those rights being given to another person. Mm-hmm. and. In the process of doing that, a court wants to be very careful to make sure that um, we are not taking away rights from people who have the ability to manage their own affairs. And so it's not incompetent or not. Mm -hmm. It's to what degree of incompetent is this person and are there rights that they can retain? So part of the evaluation process during a guardianship is about seeing what is it that the person that's alleged to be incompetent, what can they do 
and what rights should they still have? And mm-hmm. so every time we have a case like this, we, we assess whether or not there should be some sort of limited guardianship. So it sounds like it can be variable. Yes. And so there's, um, there's guardianships where a person retains the ability over their own finances or over their own medical care or over their shelter where they live. But um, it depends on the person's unique sort of uh, cognitive ability and what, they, what abilities they, they have retained. Um, often, in almost all cases, once a person's declared incompetent, then a copy of that order is sent to the DMV and they will, their license will be revoked. And the court almost always has to specifically say that that won't happen if the person does retain the ability to drive. And then, um, and that'll happen almost right away. What, uh, what, so I guess in an extreme case, what is the most that can be taken away from a person? Well, um, it's gonna be the ability to make decisions about property, family, their person, and so medical decisions, decisions about where they live and under what terms, um, what vendors they use as far as their bills are concerned, all of that can be taken away and given to another person. And the most extreme form of guardianship is called a general guardianship, which includes authority over personal care decisions, mm-hmm. medical decisions, and includes decisions about their finances. So a guardian can come in and take control of the bank account, retirement account, and all so of the So what property. beautician you want to use to get your hair done. Exactly. Even. I mean, to yeah. that level. Yes, wow. exactly. Yeah. So I understand that there are, based on this conversation, some different types of guardianship. Could you talk about those types of guardians? Um, there are three primary that you hear about most often. And the first is a guardian of the person. And that is where a person has... Um, the authority is given only over personal care decisions. Mm -hmm. And you will see that in cases where either the person either has the ability to manage their own finances or has no assets or income. Or maybe already has a power of attorney for financial. Exactly. They've done that, but not the person. Right, and if the court thinks that that's that's enough, Mm -hmm. then the court may not appoint a guardian of the Mm -hmm. person. Now, a lot of people I see go into court um, and they say, well, she receives, my mom receives Social Security income, so I need authority over that. Well, actually, a guardian of the person can become the rep payee through Social Security, and so you might only need a guardian of the person. Mm -hmm. And the benefit to that is the guardian of the person has far fewer accounting requirements and audit requirements with Mm -hmm. the court. Once you become the guardian of the person, unless there's something that needs to change, you really don't have any more need to report to the court unless you're a private guardian. That sounds good. And other types? Um, Guardian of the estate. That's just management of our financial affairs. Okay. And so a lot of times um, you may have somebody who can make personal care decisions but may not be in a position to make financial decisions. They just may not have the uh, ability or savviness to handle financial decisions, but they are perfectly capable of making medical decisions for mom, for example. Um, So you may have a separate person that's appointed to manage financial decisions, and that person is called a guardian of the estate. A general guardian is both wrapped into one, both a guardian of the person and a guardian of the estate. So that's definitely the more extreme version. Yes. (laughs) That's the Hurricane Florence version. That's right. Exactly. So um, I understand, Gretchen, that there is sort of uh, some rethinking and retooling, uh, potentially, of guardianship in this state. And you're part of a group called Rethink Guardianship. Talk to us a little bit about what's going on there and kind of where we see there may be some gaps or some changes that need to be made to the system. Yes, Rethink Guardianship is a group of various stakeholders. So those can be people under guardianship, these can be families that have been affected by guardianship, disability rights, counsel is involved, attorneys, local clerks, or corporate guardianship agencies like ours. So it's really people that have any interest that come together and discuss how can we improve the system, either through uh, better collaboration or even through legislation. 
And um, part of that group is to really hear voices, give voice to people under guardianship and their concerns or families impacted by guardianship. And things they are looking at is to increase accountability to guardians because right now there's very little record keeping, very little accountability for people that are guardian over a person. So majority of guardians are family members or natural supports of a person, mm -hmm. but then there also are corporate guardians. Um, there's an annual report that needs to be filed for those, but for private guardianship there really isn't, uh, or for people, private people, there isn't much accountability. Um, there is very little record keeping, so we don't really know for sure how many people are under guardianship, where are those people, What's, what has happened to them over the years. Hmm. So we are really striving to get the clerk's offices to be more detailed in their record keeping. Um, it's all still paper files and you know those kind of get lost and, and are not necessarily very accessible. Right. So we're gathering data about um, what types of guardianships are out there and how successful are those. We're also hoping that the language of guardianship can be updated as terms like being incompetent can be very offensive yeah. <laughs> to people and it has a certain stigma that it carries with it as well. So really trying to update some of that outdated language is a big concern to, um, to that group. And then looking at legislation as well to provide alternatives to guardianship. For example, right now, um, children that are uh, disabled, uh, that have, for example, autism or any other um, intellectual or developmental disability, almost automatically parents at 18 are encouraged to apply for guardianship. Mm. When really oftentimes they have abilities to make decisions, they might just need some support. Right. So there's a concept of supported decision making that we're really trying to flesh out that already has legislation in some states, but not in our area. So we're really trying to explore alternatives for guardianship that are less invasive and less um, all-encompassing as they um, support individuals that maybe need, just need some help. Guardianship a la carte. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like no small task. We've got Micah Wiest here in the studio. She is the Triangle Area President of LifeLinks.Care. We also have Christopher Wilms here. He's an attorney with Hopler, Wilms, and Hannah. And we'll have more right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. With your co-host, Nicole Claykitt, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. You can find more about Transitions Life Care at transitionslifecare.com. Dot org. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett on this Saturday evening. We've got two special guests here in the studio. We have Christopher Wilms, an attorney with Hopler, Wilms, and Hannah, as well as Micah Wiest, who is the Triangle Area President of LifeLinks. And we're talking all about guardianship, Nicole. And, uh, you know, we've been at it for almost an hour here, <laughs> and uh, I, I think I'm starting to understand. I, I've think learned I'm a lot. I've understand. learned a lot. This has been actually a great conversation with these two definite experts in this area, but I also know that guardianship is not your entire world. So for those listening today, I'd love for both of you to have an opportunity just to kind of share a little bit about the companies that you work with and, um, you know, what you do and, and also, the, you know, the, the more broad scope of your work. And why don't we start with you, Chris? Well, um, I've been working with Hopler, Wilms, and Hannah in, um, for the last seven years. Uh, we have locations in Durham and Sanford. And uh, we cover basically the middle segment of North Carolina for most of our practice areas. 
And so uh, I, in my field, I work with a lot of people dealing with estate planning, wills and trusts and powers of attorney. And I deal with um, holding the loved one's hands after, after folks pass away, dealing with the administration of estates, dealing with conflict that arises um, between heirs or beneficiaries, and helping people basically navigate through the transition of assets after a person passes. Um, the other aspect of what I do, of course, is helping people deal with incapacity, um, dealing with guardianships and navigating through this what can what has become apparently um, a very complex process for some people. Um, you know, some of these guardianships can be quite contested and complicated, and some of them are close calls. And so I kind of I help families walk through that process and um, see that a guardian gets appointed that that's appropriate in scope and. And so that's, you know, interestingly, I took one of those personality tests recently, and uh, I'm not suited to be a, an attorney, apparently. Oh. I'm, I'm more suited Washing to- Washing machine technician? No, not, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually more suited to be a psychologist or a counselor, according, <laughs> according to this test, um, which actually uh, I have found that it, it suits me well for what I do, um, dealing with the paperwork sort of comes secondary, dealing with the people and helping them get through a difficult time. I get a lot of intrinsic gratification out of that. Yeah. So that's where I have found myself in my career. That makes sense. And if folks want to get more information about your firm and uh, from you, how would they go about doing that? Well, our website is uh, hopplerwilms.com, and um, you can find us on Facebook, too. We do a lot there. Okay, great. Thank Thank you. Micah. Yes, I'm a master social worker, and I'm a certified care manager, and I've been with LifeLinks for the past seven years um, as well. But LifeLinks has been around for 20-plus years in this area and kind of was the first care management agency around and Mm -hmm. really a trailblazer for this profession of helping people that just need help with navigating the system. So it really is a – we're we're fortunate that we live in an area that's very dense in resources for Mm -hmm. folks, but it can also be very overwhelming. So our specialty really is to meet a person where they're at, assess their care needs, um, find ways to enhance their quality of life and um, really uh, their sense of independence as well, and then to support caregivers as well in their journey as they support loved ones by surrounding them with professionals, natural supports, and, and resources to make sure that they can continue to provide the care because that can be very straining as well. So we really try to be a wraparound support for individuals that have care needs and their loved ones. And um, we also have the guardianship program that we've been working for about 18 years. We Mm -hmm. have a contract with Wake County, and we serve as guardian of person for 118 individuals. And uh, that is a capped number, and we're usually full. We've been (laughs) doing this work for a long time and, and feel we do it very well. And so we oftentimes get requested as, as private guardians as well. So attorneys recommend us for guardianship if there are no family members mm-hmm. that are suited to serve in that capacity. So it's care management. Uh, we can also serve as surrogate health care power of attorney for people. So again, mm-hmm. people that want to pre-plan but might not have that individual to name right. as a health care power of attorney, mm-hmm. um, then we can serve as a surrogate decision maker in that capacity as well. So we really try to be available through the aging journey in whatever capacity is helpful and, and love doing that. So how would folks get a hold of you? Uh, our website is um, lifelinks.care and uh, you can also find us on Facebook, of course, and other social media. And uh, can we have an office here in the Raleigh area that serves the larger triangle, but we also have an office in Nashville, Tennessee. So if you have loved ones there, you can find us there also. Awesome, thank you. Excellent. And I want to very much thank Micah Wiest with LifeLinks, as well as Christopher Wilms, attorney with Hopler Wilms and Hannah for being our guests this evening. And Nicole, we're running out of time, but uh, there's 
plenty of time to talk about the Caregiver Summits <laughs> because uh, we've got one in Harnett County that's uh, right around the corner, and then the, the Raleigh one's not too far behind no, as well. we are bookending the month of October for sure. We have one on the 2nd of October, which is the Caregiver Summit in Harnett County, located at the beautiful uh, medical facility um, in Bowie's Creek for Campbell University, um, a full day of respite resolution and resources. And I will probably embarrass Micah right now by saying this, but um, LifeLinks is um, one of our amazing presenting sponsors. So I want to give you some kudos publicly on, on air because, again, without our sponsors, we would not be able to hold these events. And they're actually doing a presentation at both the Harnett County and the Raleigh Summits. The Raleigh Summit is coming up on um, October 30th, and that's at the McKimmon Conference Center um, in Raleigh. And this is our 10th anniversary of holding these summits, and we always sell out. So I really encourage people that are on the edge or thinking about coming to go ahead and register because the Raleigh Summit um, usually sells out weeks in advance. And we are our numbers are really, really strong again this year. And so that's again on October 30th. If folks want more information about the Caregivers Summits, they would go to caregiverssummit.org, and you will find our agendas, our list of exhibitors, our sponsors, um, just really what to expect for the day. And and really, uh, one of the biggest things that people walk away with is not only the education, but realizing that they are not alone in this journey and that there are so many other people that are going through this with them. And so the connections that folks make, I think, with each other are just as important as the resources that they walk away with as well. Yeah, the resources sure help because you've got everyone <laughs> there. But I think you're right. The the emotional impact of the Caregiver Summit, knowing that, as you said, that you're not alone. And, you know, we've uh, we've heard on WPTF several times clips of people talking about yeah. going to the Caregiver Summit and how much it, it just meant to them and how much it um, – it kind of reinvigorated them in their caregiving journey just to see that, hey, you know, there's there's a whole lot of people who are in the same exact situation as me. And, you know, this summit started 10 years ago with an amazing volunteer by the name of um, Dave White, who has since passed. And he dared to ask the question, and I love how innovation happens, you know, he asked the question to Transitions Life Care. He said, you know, why don't we do something for, to support these family caregivers that are in this role? And at the time, he was a family caregiver. So it started out as a very tiny little conference in a church. Um, at, you know, barely 100 people attended. And, you know, through his vision of wanting to see something to support family caregivers in our area, it has now blossomed into four summits that fill up convention centers and educational settings. And so, you know, without somebody daring to ask the question, I always say there is no, there are no stupid questions. There are no stupid ideas and you know even with the thought of you know this rethink guardianship group and just the way people try to look at things a little differently it's really when folks try to you know come at things at a different angle that I think we really experience our true innovation so definitely encourage our listeners you know as you listen to the show week after week if you have an idea of a topic that you would love for us to cover we do have a uh, email address that folks can email and we would bring in speakers and and hopefully educate you to the various issues that you have in your minds as well yeah and uh, I know you won't say it but a part of the reason why these summits have grown so much is that uh, has to do with a lot of the hard work that you put in Nicole and uh, I, I know you really very much care about the feedback of the <laughs> um, not only the vendors but the attendees as well so uh, if you're interested at all please go to caregiversummit.org you can find plenty of information there you can also go to wptf.com we've got uh, a link there in the aging matter section you can also check out replays of 
previous episodes of Aging Matters, there's uh, the full archive is available there. Uh, very much want to thank our guests again this evening. We had Micah Wiest, the Triangle Area President of LifeLinks. You can find more information at lifelinks.care. They're also uh, on Facebook as well. And our other guest this evening was Christopher Wilms, attorney with Hopler Wilms and Hannah. You can find more information about them at hopplerwilms.com, and they are also available on Facebook as well. We're out of time. On behalf of Nicole Cleggett, I am Jason Kong. Thanking you so much for joining us this evening. We hope you will do it again next week. We do this every Saturday evening at 7 o'clock, and we really appreciate it when you join us. And again, if you uh, have any information that you want to pass on to us, you can also do that at WPTF.com as well in the Aging Matters section. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680, WPTF. Have a great night. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680, WPTF. For more information, log on transitionslifecare.org.